one verse of Scripture is all we're going to read today. What a privilege it is for us to read the Word of God. Here, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says in the 12th verse, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. Now, I really believe that if we were to read that the right way, us pastors here, that it's almost the way that God counted Abraham righteous by faith. He had faith, Abraham did, and yet God declared him because of his faith righteous. I think God counted us faithful, even when we haven't always been faithful. God calls things that be not as though they were. And he speaks this into us so that our life will be con become conformable to his expectation. Come on, isn't that a good place to say amen right there? He counted us faithful, guys, and he put us into the ministry. And so today, I want to share. It's a privilege of mine to be able to share. I am 47 years old. I have been preaching now for 31 years, having preached my very first sermon when I was 16 years of age. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the call to ministry, the call to ministry, and just speak some things from my heart, kind of share some things that God's laid on my heart today. Father, I love you. I'm so honored to be the pastor of this great fellowship. Lord, I pray you would bless our time together in the Word of God. Let nothing distract us today, God. It's in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, amen. and you can be seated. I want to take just a few minutes in the context of the Apostle Paul writing here to Timothy. Timothy is oftentimes referred to as a young pastor. Perhaps he was more than that because he was responsible for appointing other elders and leaders in the church, especially at Ephesus, where it seems as if the Apostle Paul had kind of left him there to minister. And he's encouraging him. Paul encourages him looking back at his own life knowing that, that Timothy was a young son in the faith and took upon himself the burden of responsibility that the aged apostle was passing on to him. And he simply said, God has counted us faithful. He was referring to his own life, but I think he was referring to all of us that would ever respond to the call of God, to serve God uniquely in the sense that we are in ministry. Now, I want to say this. I'll probably get a little bit ahead of myself. I first believe is that God has called all of us into ministry. Amen. And I recognize that today, and I don't want to take anything away from that. And from every one of us, every one of us have some place, some responsibility that we're to serve. God's put gifts and callings in every one of us. And one of our responsibilities is to put you in an environment to foster those gifts and then to be able to be used by God, to see those gifts not lie dormant inside you, but so that you get up every morning with the merit and value that you say, you know what, God has called me to serve the Lord in this capacity. So we all have gifts and callings, but it seems to us as we study the scriptures that God has called certain men and certain women that he has separated. Almost like when God called the children of Israel, he said, separate me the sons of Aaron. Separate me the tribe of Levi, the entire tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. God said, separate me the tribe of Levi, for they're going to serve in my tabernacle. And it seems as if that, that same distinction is still made today. And it's not based upon a family heritage as it once was, but now it's based upon just God's sovereignty, and he calls us into ministry, and he places us there. I believe it's a tremendous calling, and it's a tremendous uh, you know, uh, uh, opportunity that we have to be able to hopefully help develop 
and equip the church. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that ministry are, are actually ministry gifts, that these offices, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, they're actually gifts to the body of Christ. I think sometimes we do fail to value uh, men and women that have been placed over us in the Lord. The Bible says, using King James English in Hebrews chapter 13, obey those who are over you in the Lord, for they watch for your soul. What a gift that is to know that somebody is helping watch for your soul. Come on, there's somebody who has found a burden in prayer that, that maybe we don't know you as intimate. We might know some more intimately than we do others, but that doesn't mean that we don't feel a burden of intercession on your behalf or a, a, some type of benevolent need for you and your family to pray for you and to hold you up in prayer. I, you know, being in ministry can be very challenging at times. It can be very diverse. I'll give you just real quickly some of our job qualifications here that we have had, uh, that we've gone through. Number one, we stack a lot of chairs and set up a lot of tables. You cannot imagine. Matter of fact, we specialize in it. We clean and maintain facility, including building and remodeling this facility. Oddly enough, I'm going to pat on the back of all of these guys, but we have saved this church family thousands and thousands of contractual hours if we had hired out all the remodeling that we have done since I've been the pastor of this assembly. And I'm so thankful to have a group of talented guys to help us along that way. But you know what? We babysit, but you better not call us because it's with a price. It comes with a price. But we babysit. We change batteries. We give rides to estranged people. We exterminate, y'all don't even know, we exterminate snakes, we install roofs, we repair and remodel houses, we take folks to and from the doctor and the hospital, and we move furniture, and along the, along the way, we preach and teach, counsel and mediate, we facilitate worship. In the words of ISM, our ISM leader, we love, train, and lead. We reach out to, we follow up with, and we check on folks. And it's a privilege of ours to serve. It's diverse in our job qualifications, and it can be challenging at times. I did just a little bit of research, and I, I know that others excel in sharing with us the ups and downs of ministry to remind us, but there's a couple of lists that I drew attention to, my attention was drawn to, and one was by pastoral care. And this was uh, 10 reasons why pastors leave the ministry. And I'm going to go from 10 to 1, and then very, very quickly, five difficult challenges before I really begin to make this personal here in just a few moments of time. But 10 reasons why, you know, because studies show that there's unfortunately an exodus of pastors that are leaving the ministry. Now, maybe not in the Assemblies of God, but across, you know, pro the Protestant, you know, body across the United States. I think the number, oddly enough, is like 1,500 people leave the ministry every month. And that's a, that's a really challenging thing. We can, we, if we're not careful, we're going to look up and have a lack of men and women professing the call. And they listed real quickly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this list, but a lack of a vision or low income, low self-esteem, lack of motivation, stress and burnout. Number six on this list was not appreciated. And so let me just tell you real quickly, that's why doing something like we do today is a very important thing in the psyche of ministry. Come on, because a lot of times what you do is not seen. What Shane does sometimes is seen right here, okay? And so when you've responded spontaneously and worship has been beautiful, then that's his reward. He sees that he gets to participate. But you don't get to see everything that JoJo's doing back there. 
You don't get to see the times Brent's back there with the kids and sometimes the challenge of, of corralling a lot of children and getting and teaching them a lesson. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And so it's important because that helps alleviate one of the reasons why people leave the ministry. Can't be real. Well, you're going to get some real today here in a few moments. Um, stress on the family and health. Feeling all alone. A lot of times pastors leave the ministry because they don't have any, but they don't feel like, you know, a lot of times people have put such expectation on ministry that you think that beneath this tie and this dark shirt here today, I would tear it open and there would be a bright blue and red S, you know, Superman. But that's not the case. You know, and sometimes we need people that we can just be down to earth with and just kind of be ourselves. And, and I'm so thankful. You know, I, as I studied that list, no wonder I'm, I'm in my 31st year of preaching and don't see any reason to, 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 to get sidetracked because I don't experience hardly any of these things. And I think it's, a lot of it's because of the culture of our church family and the love that you show in, into us, a lack of denominational support. And ministers have a vision, but the church doesn't. And I can't say that about my church family because from the age saint among us to the youngest child, they have a vision of what God's called us to do and to be here in uh, Heber Springs. But now, I appreciated this list. It's five difficult challenges that pastors face. And if you've never really thought about this, let me just kind of expose them to you real quickly. And then I'm going to share some personal ones in a few moments. Number uh, five, going from reverse order, doing the funeral of a person who is not a Christian. That's challenging right there when you know they were a heathen. But in that moment, everybody, want, you know, everybody wants to be priests into heaven. Number four, preparing more than one quality sermon per week. I know that your first thought was, Pastor, we would just like one quality sermon per week. But let me say this. If you have never experienced, you know, when I was before there was a shift away, a little bit of away from the Sunday nights and everything, back when I was new to ministry, that was my greatest challenge at Shirley was I had three distinct messages to prepare each week. And that's hard and as you're new to ministry. Now, as, I'm a little, as I've aged and matured some, I could probably handle that responsibility a little bit greater. But these young guys, that could be tough. That's very difficult to do. Um, number three, loving a person in the church who is your critic. David said, you know, the person I went up into the house of the Lord with. That was the person that I found myself struggling with. That's not easy to do. But I'm telling you what, I, I found if you just walk in love, I, I just said, you know what? We, we got to love sheep and goats. And we love sheep with goaty behavior. I found out there's more, there's very few goats in the church, but there are some sheep with goaty behavior. And they will slip up behind you and butt you every now and then. You just got to know how to respond. Number two, knowing what to do with a staff member who is not making a vital contribution. In essence, this research was saying if you have somebody that's loved and appreciated by perhaps the church family, but that he, is, he or she is not actually fulfilling their job criteria or responsibility, that puts pastors often in a difficult place because they need to make a change, but the reverberations of that could be very difficult. I'm glad to say I don't have to deal with that because I would uh, train and did transfer and did terminate. Never mind. That's between me and Alyssa. We'll talk about that later. Number one, lastly, this is the most difficult one here, responding graciously to someone right before you preach. 
Been back there praying, God, I feel Jesus. Fill me with the Holy Ghost, God. I love you, God. I just, when I step out of this office, God, let the anointing, I pop out of that door and say, Pastor, the lady's toilet just overflowed. <laughs> Come on, I'm just telling you. Responding to unique things, you know, because as pastors, we want to step into this moment, you know, full of the Holy Spirit, our focus, our attention, everything. And uh, sometimes it's hard to respond graciously right there. But we learn how to do so across the course of ministry. Real quickly, comparatively, as pastors, we are called to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. So comparing just a few in the context of occupations or callings. You know, pastorally, as, uh, as I've searched the scriptures, I've used David and his, you know, even though he was a king, I've used some of his uh, attributes in helping me respond to pastoral ministry. I've learned from him because he set up worship order, and that's a big deal around here. We'll talk more about that in a moment. He consulted with the people about the return of the ark to Jerusalem. He administered order and justice in the kingdom. He blessed the people. He would speak blessings over them. That means a lot to me personally. I, I see the value of speaking blessing. Come on, the power of life and death is where? Come on, in the tongue and to speak kind words that edify and build up. He gathered resources for the temple. All of us in ministry have uh, tried to emulate Nehemiah's governorship. We've tried to learn that leadership quality. We've all looked at Ezra and his commitment to the word and a disciplined, holy, separate lifestyle. If you search the scriptures, you'll find a few businessmen-like traits that all of us should try to emulate that are in ministry because the Bible does say, do business till I come. But I want to say this, the church is not a corporation. I'm not the CEO. These are not executive officers here. What we are is we are a sheepfold. And I really believe that the greatest biblical analogy that we can learn the greatest truth from is the sheepfold. I'm a shepherd. Actually, the word pastor in Greek is also translated shepherd. And the principles that I've learned over the years about shepherding is, is that a shepherd must give his life for the sheep because he cares for the flock. Listen, you, can't, you can mask some things for so long, but you can't mask true concern. You can't, I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't, it can't be a hypocrisy. It can't be, I can't just walk around and smile and act like I love you. It's got to be genuine. You can discern genuine. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? You can discern whether it's authentic. Is that really the love of God in somebody's heart? Genuine concern for people. Pastors care enough about the flock to count and then to go searching for those that are missing. And then even going beyond, our responsibility is to take you to the pasture lands where there's nourishment, nourishment for your soul and where you can lay down beside the still waters. Come on, somebody. And you can, you can grow and then you can multiply as a church family. We watch for your soul. We stand against your adversary, the devil. I'm telling you, when you pray, we're praying with you. We're binding the devil on your behalf and we're exercising spiritual authority and we're, we're binding unclean spirits and tormenting spirits and, and generational curses and all the things that you're wrestling with. You got a voice. You got somebody that'll stand with you we can't always just fight for you but we can fight with you we can stand in prayer with you and we have to facilitate squabbles and contentions in the sheepfold and it's not always easy we can we, we strive to provide counsel mediation and instruction and we attempt to mend nurture and encourage the weak all the while raising our own family right in front of your eyes in a glass bubble at times 
with a lot of expectations. One of the other lists that I had searched out, one of the unique things about that causes a lot of pastors to leave the ministry is because of the expectations that churches put upon their spouse and their family, their children. And he cited that. Can you think of any other career or calling that or job where it, that the spouse or the children are expected to serve alongside? Think about that for a moment of time. Like a basketball coach, you don't expect the, the, the spouse to be out there with the whistle running practices, but we expect the pastor's spouses to be connected and involved in ministry or children, and that's put a lot of pressure on there. And so all the while, we're striving to balance, help you with your family while trying to raise ours trying to help you get through the difficult times, that, like those difficult teenage years, right? Amen. Come on now. Amen. Those difficult teenage years trying to help you all the while that we've got te- uh, teenagers ourselves. And so it's unique. It's a holy calling. It is a privilege. Paul counted us faithful, and he said, God has placed us in the ministry. And I reflect all of three, three, these three guys today. It is our privilege to serve as the pastors here at First Assembly. I believe there are great challenges that are affecting our generation. So this is my be real moment. And that was one of the reasons why a lot of pastors leave the ministry, because they can't be real. I'm going to be real today for just a few moments. This is my last sermon for four weeks, because I'm taking my little uh, pastoral Sabbath of preaching not of pastoring or administrating but of preaching so this is my moment to be real there are great challenges it's difficult and today you know what the things that first come to my mind about the challenges is that it's this ever-changing culture change can be a good thing but it's hard to keep up it's hard to keep up because think about that for a moment for a long long time the church didn't change when everything else was changing in every society the church always remained the same the facility remained the same. Oftentimes, the robe and the attire of the preacher remained the same. The songs remained the same. Everything remained. But now we're in a generation where the culture around us is changing all the time. And then the church, there's an expectation, especially when using this term, the contemporary church, to emulate some measure of change. You know, just to be honest, we remodeled this facility uh, in 2008, and it's now 2015. And according to the process of change and the rate of change, we're way behind again already just that quickly. There are some churches, these mega churches that are really reaching out to this contemporary youthful generation. They change the look and the design of the church every six months. I don't know how to keep up with that. I just, I'm just being honest. I struggle just a little bit, but I know that I've got to find the right balance there because it's difficult. It's difficult to facilitate a worship service. Generationally, that's an important thing to me. It's not important to other churches, not all churches, but I mean, meaning, meaning some churches don't try to be generational. First Assembly tries to be generational. We value it. We want to see the youngest children to the age sane among us, and we want to try to weave it together in some way that it's not offensive to any. And that's not easy, always easy to accomplish. And it takes great effort as our church, as our church leaders and also you esteeming one another greater than yourselves and it's it's a challenge you know the style of worship and even sermon topics i've i thought about that as a conversation that shane and i was having just this past week sermon topics is a big deal you know as pastors that's where we what we're really gearing towards you know this is our game day this is game day for us right here so for me there's a preparation that will begin you know when preparation for next sunday if i wasn't if i was preaching would begin it would begin the moment that I wrapped up here today. 
my thoughts would begin to start saying, now, where, where, where am I going to go with my sermon context a little bit? And here's what I've seen today. There are some churches that have some really great success today, and I've noticed and I've observed, but there is a little bit of something that I struggle with because my mind doesn't always work that same way. I see it this way in the Christian life. I see the fruit and I see the root. I see two things. I see the fruit is the byproduct of what happens with the root. The fruit is a life and that's enjoyable. It, the fruit is husbands loving their wives. The fruit is learning how to respond to people and functioning on the job. That's all good things. But what we spend a lot of time in the contemporary church trying to do is always prune and improve the fruit without addressing the root. What I've discovered is the root is a revelation of who Jesus is, a revelation of what he's called us to do and to be, an awareness that we are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, a revelation that we have a sin nature, that we have to die to sin every day, that we have to allow the risen Christ to live our lives through us. And if we will allow that to happen inwardly, that's the root, then the fruit becomes the byproduct. I'm telling you, I believe in marriage counseling. I believe in marriage seminars, all those things. But I want you to know today, Sherry and I have been married for almost 30 years, and we've never been to any of that. And I've actually never read a single marriage counseling book entirety in its, uh, in its entirety. I've never actually done so. But I found out that if I will learn to yield my life to the Holy Spirit, if I will not allow my flesh to dominate me, if I won't allow my anger, are y'all hearing what I'm saying, to hurt those that are around me come on then the are y'all hearing me today then the fruit takes care of it because we get the root right so i'm not saying we don't need to address the fruit but i think we should start with the root that's just me being real here today one of the things that is odd and difficult for me today is attire in church and on stage i'll address i'll address that in a moment even me personally because everything has changed so much and it, it, if you go and you watch the contemporary pastors today, a lot of them, they'll have polo shirts on. And I'm like, I don't want to wear a polo shirt on Sunday morning. And then now the cool thing is they've got the long sleeve, long buttoned-up shirts with these squiggly lines on either side. And if you're not wearing that to church with long boots and shoes, you're just outdated. But let me just tell you, let me just tell you, I'm going to tell you guys, I'm going to help you with some fashion here today, guys. If that shirt is a button-up shirt, it meant to be tucked in. And you should have a gig line. Just whether or not, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Right there. But until um, so you think all that's crazy, you say, Pastor, that's so foolish. Well, media has created a model. And then we feel the pressure to acclimate. Well, you know what? I just threw all that to the wind a long time ago. and so said, I'm going to be myself. And if somebody else wants to come on the platform and wear that shirt and all those, they can do so. You can wear your Mr. Rogers shoes on the stage if you want to and put your slippers on, but not me. I'm going to go a little different route. One of the things that I struggle with is to avoid preaching on world slash political slash national events every Sunday. Because the media has brought so much of this to our attention, our nation is so divided politically, and our access to this information keeps us all stirred up, all stirred up. And it's difficult not to address some portion of this weekly. It's not my goal as a pastor to offend truly born-again believers. 
And it's never my goal to use this pulpit as a bully pulpit. And I've made that statement. But I tell you what, I see a polarization taking place. And I see a change, a massive change that's coming. And I think it's, I've said it before, I think it's causing people to really reevaluate their political allegiances. I'm just telling you to the children of God. I'm speaking to the church today. Because I'm telling you, I still struggle how we can give our support to uh, political platforms and individuals that support uh, abortion on demand or homosexual slash transgender rights and all those things. And now the influx that's coming on in our culture today is the support for the Islamization of America. And I'm telling you, you I just, I, I, it's hard for me every Sunday to not go there because it's in our culture and it's just right in front of us. I struggle a little bit with the fact that we seem to be, we seem to have competition in churches numerically, numerically, because there are some churches that have grown quickly because they use more contemporary means. But the reality is oftentimes their doctrine is not as distinct. There is a distinction to our doctrine here. We still believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Not everybody embraces that. But it's our responsibility to share it and, and teach you to create a culture and environment where you desire to have spiritual gifts. It's my desire as a pastor to, even though I never want to use my pulpit to be a bully pastor, I also don't want to be someone who is prophetical and my voice is muted either. And I want to use my voice and my platform and my opportunity to address things that I feel like I should address as a pastor. But it just seems to me that the shallow end of the pool has more people. And oftentimes we get measured by our numerical growth rather than our spiritual maturity. And it puts a lot of pressure on us as pastors. Here's a big one for me. Sherry, I don't know where you're at, but go warm the van up right now. <laughs> Tell them to make my pastor appreciation meal to go. <laughs> How do I make dress slash attire and lifestyle choices relevant in the church in our generation? How do I? You tell me. I want to know. If you got it figured out, you tell me. Because did you know scripture teaches in the pastoral epistles about especially women's dress more than men's dress? It's in the word. And modesty, how do you teach about it? And then our lifestyle choices. How do you speak openly about modesty and attire and a holy lifestyle that purposely avoids a lot of our secular entertainment and social drinking, to which I've found no good in it, in the fruit of it? How do you present it in such a way that it is biblical, relevant, reproving, correctional, and instructional without being labeled a sexist or legalistic or number three, old-fashioned slash outdated or a bully pastor. How, I don't, how? how? How do you do it, though? There's, there's got to be a proper balance somewhere along the way. And I think it's important as a church family that we all say, you know what, these things do matter to God. They do. You can't read the scriptures without seeing lifestyle choices and our adjustment. Remember, Ephesians 4 and 17 said, Do not walk as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. That when we come to Christ, there is a change that's worked in us. And that change should be lived out in everyday life. 
We change the way that we speak. We change the things that we watch. We change the things that we listen to or we read. We change our attire. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? We change everything about us in a way that we say, God, I don't have to be extreme on one side or the other, but God, I still want to be pleasing to you, and I want to reflect modesty. It's difficult because folk can get mad at you real quickly, and you can be labeled any of those four things that I just mentioned. How do you and I, how do we maintain or continue in our heritage of Pentecostal slash charismatic slash full gospel slash spirit-empowered people when fewer and fewer are willing to set aside time to receive of God's spirit? Y'all give me an hour and a half one time a week. One time a week. And I've got to get it all in right there from 1030 to about 12 because if it gets close to 12, you're already starting to check out. The only thing i got going for me today is I'm one step ahead of you. i got dinner prepared for you in the back. And so how do we? Because I'm telling you, if you, we want to be a church that has the work of the Spirit among us, we have to create the environment for the Holy Spirit to move among us. And we have to allow Him and give Him that opportunity and time. Here's a difficult question. How do I answer this? You can tell me privately. Time won't allow us. So I'm going to share a couple of things and more and I'm going to close. How do I address, address, or teach on the issue of abortion and homosexuality without offending or hurting someone who has either previously had an abortion, because that would never, ever be my intention, but rather to promote them to, or to, 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 to teach them about God's healing and His grace. But how do we maintain our edge there? Because there should be some measure of edge of resisting that. And also, what about when, when we teach about our belief in, in, in our sexuality and as we see in, in Scripture... But, but we've got a family member in the church who's homosexual. So how do you do that? If you've never thought about that on Pastor Appreciation Day, you need to think about it. It's not easy to do, to try to create an envir- environment where it's instructional and yet correctional and yet not abrasive at the same time. So here today, before I close, here's what I long for your family. These are the things. Those are just a few challenges. I just thought that was just real. This is my little soapbox moment. I probably toned it down some for you, just to be honest. It's in my mind it was a little bit stronger. So I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm probably, it was a, probably a good thing. But I want to get this is my, the sincerity of my heart for yours. What do I long for you as a pastor? What, as your pastor, someone that values pastoral ministry, that that's the only thing that I see myself doing, not because I'm not capable of doing other things, not because I don't have a skill set that would allow me to accomplish other things, but I have a calling that like the apostle You know, Paul said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. That spirit of Jeremiah rests upon me. I could take a four-week break. I can. I need it. It'd be a good thing for me. But Jeremiah said, I sought to forbear. I tried to keep myself from addressing. He said, but his word was like fire shut up in my bones, and I could not forbear. You know, the call of God that God's placed upon my life, I've tried to put it myself in an environment where it would, it would, it would, it would develop and mature. And, and I'm, I've got some maturity in some areas and some shallow areas in others. But this is something that's just personal real quickly, the things I long for the most for you and your family. Number one is stability at home. As your pastor, I just want to see you have stability at home. I had stability at my house as a kid growing up. And now as a dad of, and, and been married for... Uh, you know, 29 years and got six beautiful children. And I see the strength of character of my six children. And I see who they are and I see how they handle themselves. And I credit a lot of it back to the stability that they had at home. 
that, that, that you can ask them and say, can you tell me five times when you, when, when you can ask any six of my children, say, can, can you tell me five times when you saw your mom and dad have a true bona fide argument? And they, none of them can tell you that. And they can tell you, they won't be able to say, I don't remember my dad saying harsh words to my mom or mom. And I see that and I long, every family should have that. Our children should not be raised in contention and strife. Come on, somebody. Moms and dads and husbands and wives. And I understand we've got the, I understand we have not all the traditional family. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. you got to start somewhere and say, you know what? The curse of all this brokenness, it's going to end. It's not going to be a part of my family any longer. I'm going to love my spouse like Christ loved the church. I'm going to love my children. We're going to create an atmosphere of love and responsibility in our household. And I want that so bad for you and your family. I do. That is my heart's passion for you and your family. So number two, I want to see you grow in your knowledge and your understanding of Scripture. I mean that with all of my heart. That's something I value personally. I experienced it. I was moved deeply last week when JoJo testified about like seven years ago, eight years ago, when he was, you know, called to the ministry, but kind of struggling to understand the word of God. And he came to me and he said, Pastor Brown, can you help me? And I remember taking him. I remember that day. And we went to Ephesians, the first chapter and the 17th verse. And I taught him to pray a prayer that I saw in the scriptures and many other pastors have seen it before where he said, I pray that God gives you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding will become enlightened and you'll know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. And when you begin to pray that and you begin to seek God and you begin to ask the Lord, God, show me in all you're getting, I want to get understanding, God. I desire wisdom. I desire knowledge, God. I may not be the most educated, but God, I can still understand your word if you'll open my understanding. I want you to know that you can receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and it will change your life it will it will empower you knowledge is power come on when you get a revelation of who jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross and then the work of grace that's on the inside of you i'm telling you it will lift your countenance to god's glory number three today for each of you to unlock the anointing within your life to unlock it And I'm almost finished today, church family, but how many of you know that God has an anointing for every one of us? 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, the 21st verse, Paul said, God has anointed us. Moses had the anointing. Samson had the anointing. Deborah had the anointing. David had the anointing. The disciples had the anointing. The apostle Paul had the anointing. The early church had the anointing. Our spiritual forefathers in the assemblies of God, they had the anointing. I know as a pastor, I've got the anointing, but let me tell you who's got it. Jesus has got the anointing, and you can get it if you'll just believe God for it, and it will liberate your life. You'll get up in the morning knowing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When the anointing is working in your life, you'll say with David, by my God, I'll run through a troop. By my God, I'll leap up over a wall. You'll say God you are so gracious to me if you are for me then who can be against me I will not fear what man can do unto me because my God is my shield and my exceeding reward he'll send angels in front of me and he'll send angels behind me I'll be able to testify when God blesses me like my daughter favor ain't fair because I have the anointing in my life and so can you and I want you to have it
God wants you to have it today. Live life differently. Live life with the anointing. God, and I believe as your pastor, this is what I want, number four, and then there's five, and I'm wrapping up, and then we're going to conclude. I want your family to find fulfillment in this fellowship. I want you to be more than just an attendee, an adherent, and even a member. I want you to find family. God puts the solitary in family. I want you, when you're not here, to be thinking about us. Because when you're not here, we're thinking about you. That's what I want to see. And lastly, my desire for you as your pastor on Pastor Appreciation Day is for you to be faithful. Faithful. God counted us faithful. Ministries, JoJo, Shane, Brent. God looked at us and he said, I'm going to count these guys faithful. I'm telling you, God wants you to be faithful. Did you know God commends faithfulness? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The apostle Paul said it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. Paul wrote to the churches, and here's how he addressed many of the churches, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ Jesus. Scripture exhorts each of us that we are to be faithful to God Faithful to our spouses and our family. That's where that stability can come from. Faithful to our employer. Work hard. Don't cheat your employer. Work hard. Are y'all hearing me? Faithful to our church body, to each other. Faithful to our worship service. I preached last week, neglect not. It didn't work. Never mind. <laughs> Faithful with our resources. Because if you've not been faithful in handling, Jesus said, unrighteous money, how can God commit to your trust true resources? So God requires us to be faithful. God is faithful. Can everybody say amen? amen. His words are true and faithful. Amen. Jesus is a merciful and a faithful high priest. He stands in the presence of God for us today. God counted us pastors when he looked on our heart and he called us faithful. And let me tell you today, Revelation 17 and 14, speaking of the church, speaking of you, they that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So my desire for you as your pastor is that you will be faithful to the call that you've received in Christ Jesus. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed for a few moments today before I turn this over to Pastor or to Brother Randy here today. Lord, I love you, and I'm so appreciative to be the pastor of this great fellowship. And God, to be able to just minister the word to them each and every week, what a privilege it is of mine. And today as I minister, I don't know the heart of every person. Perhaps there's someone here under the sound of my voice that God is doing something in your heart today. And you just want to kind of just give, uh, just kind of just let me know it today. 
by the upraised hand. But just saying, Pastor, I don't even know what it is. I just know that God's doing something in my heart, and I want to let him do it. Maybe he's, he's bringing you back into faith. Maybe it's a, it's a rededication. Maybe it's faith for the very first time. I don't know. But just, just today, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe God is doing something in my heart and life, would you just say a, say a prayer over me? I see that hand today. Is there anyone some hands? Thank you all so much. Anyone else today? Thank you. Hands are going up all over the church family. Lord, I want to bless them today. You're doing something special in their lives. Something very, very special, and I'm so appreciative of it, God. If there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Lord, if you'll just cry out to him today, right now, if you just believe in your heart that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, and if you'll accept him and receive that forgiveness today, then you'll be saved. And I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer today. Just simply say, Lord, I turn to you a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, God, I turn from my sin and I turn to you and I commit my heart and life to you today. Let me be found faithful today in Jesus' name. Lord God, today, in closing my portion of this service, before I turn this over to Brother Randy, it's my privilege every Sunday and then all through the week to serve this fellowship Thank you for giving me the opportunity that, God, you could have sent me anywhere. Father, to the African plains, Father God, to uh, Iceland or Greenland or anywhere in some extravagant location around the world. But you chose and gave me an opportunity to come right here amongst my own brethren. Hill country folk, Father, that think like I do and sometimes even talk like I do. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus for the blessing of God upon their houses, their households, upon moms and dads, husbands and wives, upon children. I pray, God, that you will bless them coming in and you will bless them going out. You will bless them in the storehouse, the field, and the basket. You will bless them with favor and grace and goodness. And, Father, I pray, Lord, that the anointing that lies within each one of them would awaken and they would be all that you have called them to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All of God's children said amen and amen. I'm going back.